This morning we're still in the book of Acts, this time chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, here you see us getting ready to have another conversational sermon. And you say, this is two out of the last four. What's going on here? It's the book of Acts. It's a conversational book. It invites us to talk with each other and the Spirit to talk to us as a church. So we're going to have a conversational sermon up here, and it's going to begin with this conversation that's uh, a friend of mine, a minister. Luke and I have talked about this story. He was invited by his grandson to go to a Star Wars movie. He felt very privileged that his grandson would actually want him to go to the movies with him, and it was going to be on Phantom Menace, Episode One. So he thinks, all right, I haven't seen any Star Wars movies. I'm, I'm going to... Just a quick, wait, he hasn't seen any Star Wars movies? No, no, he's, he's a rookie. Okay, he's, he's, all right, cool. He, he knows that. <laughs> but he, but he, he's seen some pictures and a couple of trailers, and he has a little bit of reading, and he comes up with Chewbacca, Han Solo, and Luke Skywalker. He's armed with those names. Okay, so... <laughs> what rock has he been living under? Yeah, so... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so you can picture grandson, granddad, I'm the granddad, we get in the movie theater, and... Um, 
you get started all of a sudden they hadn't been in there three or four minutes and there's just ooh ah and some applause and he turns what's going on the grandson looks back at his granddad first like oh my gosh is he going to talk to me the whole movie um <laughs> and he looks up at his granddad and says those are jedis duh jedi yeah je- <laughs> jedi so he tries to keep control of himself and another 10 minutes goes on and finally he, he's got to turn to his son, grandson and say where's Luke Skywalker he hasn't been born yet granddad duh I mean come on what where are you like what this, wait a minute that's this, the only name I got and, and and you're saying he's not going to be in this movie and he's not even been born not at all not at all this is this is the Phantom Menace number one so wait a minute what were the other episodes? <laughs> so the grandson explains to his, his grandfather that, that this is episode one of one, two, and three, and previously was four, five, and six, which is where Luke Skywalker is. So we started with four, five, and six, and now we're going to have one. Yes, one, two, three, because we've already had four, five, six. And then he looks at his granddad and he says, Granddad, this is a prequel. Come on, don't you understand what a prequel is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then a light goes off in Granddad, because Granddad's a minister. He knows the Bible. He knows the church. Guess what we are? We're the sequel. See, there are churches everywhere. Um, Romanesque, beautiful stone churches like Central and Gothic cathedrals in France and Brush Arbor churches in rural Appalachia and Ru- thatched hut churches in Africa, wherever there are people, there are people doing what we're doing here this morning, you know, worshiping God, learning about Jesus. That is the sequel. So what's the prequel? The prequel is uh, the book of Acts. And, and we've been in the book of Acts for, um, what, three weeks now, and we're going to be uh, in the book of Acts today. And then next week, uh, Bishop Crutchfield is going to be preaching uh, for World Communion Sunday, and, and we're going to end with Acts. Uh, but we're in the book of Acts, and last week we talked about how Acts chapter 2 is kind of like our syllabus. It's our, it's our orientation. And what we're going to talk about this week is, is what this prequel tells us about who we are and demonstrates to us about who we are in the world today. There's, there's a way, talk to them about how, what the book of Acts looks like in, in the Bible that's in the pews, but what that translation really could be. First of all, let me ask you, Star Wars fans, is the prequel count or is it irrelevant? I mean, everything but Jar Jar Binks we're good with, right? Like, in general, like, the prequel's pretty good. Um, but it's, it's super important. I mean, we just got back from Disney, and our kids did Jedi training, and it's all important if you think about the Star Wars movie. The prequel never stops driving the narrative. No, not at all. And maybe that's what I want us to hear today. Um, the Book of Acts. Don't make it into a museum piece. You know, a fossil under glass. It's still driving the story. It, it's... We still find our marching orders there. Now, for those of you that are into difference between a little bit of English and Greek, this is important. If you open your Bible, see the title of the book of Acts in your English translation is going to say Acts of the Apostles. Oh, that's a nice title. But it makes it sound like a history book. Oh, these were the people that lived a long time ago. It's their story. Truth of the matter is the apostles, we hardly hear about them after the first chapter. Right. But do you know if you went to the Greek, the most accurate translation of this title of this book, listen, Acts of Apostolic People. Whoa. That changes everything. 
That makes it present tense. Who are we? Guess what? We're, we're on that succession of apostolic people. This wasn't just their story. It's, it's still our story. And, and one of the things, so like obviously the last couple of weeks we've been talking about uh, the, the way forward. We had Bishop Cameron coming this afternoon to talk about the, the committee and the way forward. We've talked about unity and uh, the fact that we have differences. We looked at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. We've looked at the Antioch Church, which demonstrates. But what we see in this acts of apostolic people is that in the midst while the church, early church, was trying to figure out who it is and where it's going and what we are learning from it today they're also disagreeing and agreeing, but it doesn't stop the mission and ministry that they, they show us. Well, tell us, retell us the story of, of Yeah, Paul. so um, the story of Saul's conversion to Paul on the road to Damascus. It's a pretty, uh, it's a story that's pretty well known. I mean, he's, uh, Saul is the Christian persecutor. He's gotten his marching orders and he's headed to Damascus to look for more folks to set straight and while he's on the road, there's a light. And there's an encounter with God, with the Christ, that is unexpected and that changes his life. It is something um, that he can't deny. He's blinded, so he, so he needs help, and, he's, and his life's changed. I mean, the thing about this, this story is that it's not a story that's just then, but it's a story that we still experience. I agree, and I think people sometimes read these stories and say, wow, wouldn't it have been great to be alive back then, the Camelot age of the Spirit, when the Spirit was wind and fire. I say, no, no, no. Look, I'll be sitting in my office down the hall, and somebody on a Monday morning will come staggering in, and they're, they've been plowing the same old furrow. They've been their head down. They, they didn't want to be changed or converted to anything, and all of a sudden they found themselves getting commandeered by God, and they come in and say, everything seems different. And so, you know, look, these, these stories still go on. Now, for me, it was never quite as dramatic as the road to Damascus. The light didn't come into the room in one blinding flash. It was more like bit by bit, but I think it still happens, this story. Though. And it still happens to people that, were, that are unexpected. It happens to people. I mean, Saul wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a part of the early church at that moment, and, and God chose to to intersect in his life. The other part of the story that's, abs I mean, maybe more fascinating to me personally than the, is Ananias. So did y'all catch this? So Ananias is, is uh, there and God says, Ananias, and, and, and in good fashion, he says, here I am, Lord. And then God says, uh, I need you to go pray for Saul in Damascus. And Ananias says, I think you need another person, Lord. Um, I mean, that isn't exactly what he said, but he said, uh, God, do you, do you know who Saul is? I mean, this is Saul, the one that persecutes Christians. Uh, have, have you seen his record? You want me to go pray for him? I mean, to make this a little more personal, think about it. Can you think of someone that in your life you have a hard time getting along with? Is there anybody? Y'all got anybody like that? <laughs> Neighbor, family member, friend, colleague someone that you don't agree with, someone that doesn't see the world the same way. I mean, that's who Saul was for Ananias. And I think for me, this is so fascinating because I think God continually calls us and says, there is someone in the world that is not the same as you, that thinks differently than you, and I am calling you to pray for them. And that's what Ananias does. Ananias goes and Ananias prays yeah. for Saul, and we're told that the, 
the, the scales from his eyes fall and he can see again. And we're told that uh, Ananias prays over him and he's baptized there and they worship and they're, they're there together. And then he also disciples him. Well, you've picked up on something that I think we need to hear, especially here in the Bible Belt. We're well known for making it just a me and Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, Saul didn't leave, Paul didn't leave the story out there on the Damascus Road. It went into what we're doing here together. Um, it's never a Lone Ranger kind of thing. I mean, look how quickly he's grafted into what we're doing, having a life together. and. I know it's a challenge to be a part of a church sometimes, but this is, this is where we're saved. This is where we're comforted. This is where we're challenged. This is where we're tested. And it's a, it's a togetherness, it's a community. It is a community. And, and we see from, from the very beginning of, of Saul Paul's conversion that he is a part of the community that's growing in the early church of Acts. He, he is, he's not held at arm's length, although at times he's, he's pushed. He's not um, told he can't be a part, but, but Ananias responding to God's call you know, brings him in full-fledged and loves him and, and, and incorporates him into that community. What we did in baptism today. Yeah. Right like that. Same, same thing. Yeah. So the story's not over. You, you can't park his story on the Damascus Road, nor in that meeting with Ananias. Any of you remember Paul Harvey days? Yeah, there are some older folks. Now for the rest. You remember his favorite st- st- um, phrase, now for the rest of the story. Yeah. yeah. Now for the rest of Paul's story. It's not going to end out there on the Damascus Road, you see. He's going to get into this journey, and guess what? His journey doesn't separate him. Don't look at him and say, oh, this, this is the journey of um, super Christians. No. You're going to see it folding in to the rest of the book of Acts. And what we're gonna find here is a pattern. Um, Around here, we we talk, how how do we like to talk about that pattern? In the book of Acts, really. The book of Acts in the church, in the early church and where we're called today, Robin and I talk about as a three-legged stool. It's a stool that each part of the stool is necessary for it to stand up. And it's part of what we're called to be as the church. and as we think about a way forward, as we think about a way to be the church, this three-legged stool that we see in the book of Acts that Paul participates in uh, is who we're called to be today. Um, so that's, I think that's where we're going to turn. And what's, what's the first leg? What's, what, what's our- what, we're do- what we're doing right now is worship. You go to the end of the second chapter of Acts, and you see that right there from the get-go, this is what they did. It said they, they gathered together and they broke bread together, worshiping, praising God. And I like the description. It says, with joy and gladness. It didn't say with obligation. It didn't say, oh, come and get your scorecard checked. There was a sense. No guilt. Yeah, it was what we hope happens every time we gather here. There's a, when we were talking this week, Rob, there's another, uh, Paul's asked later, yeah. In, a, in a letter about how he describes worship. Yeah, because we were trying to search. Paul never comments on worship itself in Acts. But if you go to 1 Corinthians 14, he said, this is my hope for everyone, every new person who comes into a place like this. He said that the secrets of their hearts will be revealed and they will fall down in awe and adoration and they will know that God is in the place. And that's, 
That's a great hope for worship. It is. And, it, and it, the other thing about worship is that we, we keep, it's the beginning or the folding in of this community thing. This is one of the only places that the people of Central or that folks in other, other churches gather on a, all together on a week in and week out basis. Worship is a place for us to come together yeah. as a community. And it's something that when we were thinking about this week, like it, there's a lot that goes into worship. I mean, talk a little bit about what goes into yeah this moment right here. <laughs> I want you to think about all the things that happened before you ever got here to make, like we had altar guild people come in here and get everything ready on Thursday and Friday. We had people come and run the bulletins and stuff the bulletins. We had the choir gathering. Right, um, those of us as staff thought and planned and prayed about the worship we're going to have here. And ushers, uh, ushers the and greeters. And, yeah. There's always flowers up front and there's folks that do that and there's always water on the pulpit and yeah. There's a lot of folks that participate in worship. Worship is, is not just a moment in time, but it's a way of life that encapsulates all of what we do throughout the week. If you have a hope, a new kind of hope for our worship here, would you share it? With yeah, so we have, we have some great staff that do an amazing job leading worship, and it's a, it's a joy. But, but one of the things that we're thinking about and, and want to make a step towards is uh, each week when we read Scripture or pray or uh, lead the affirmation. That's called liturgy, right? I mean, you all know that's liturgy. Uh, something you may or may not know is that the word liturgy comes from and means the work of the people. Hmm. So when Paul in this, in this book of Acts would have begun to learn uh, the aspects of worship, to being baptized, of, of prayers, there was no distinction between lay and clergy. There was no distinction. He would have learned that with with folks in the midst of worship. And one of the things that we're going to put in the bulletin next week is, is we'd like to open up a little more who helps lead up front, um, who's leading prayers, who's leading uh, uh, affirmations and reading scripture and that kind of stuff. So you'll see some of the bulletin next week. If you're interested in being a liturgist, if you would love to, to lead folks through those prayers and those affirmations, we would love for you to do that as a part of our work here. Because it, it goes back, it reminds us of what the early church was like, where we were all participating in that leading. Okay, so we got one leg on the stool. We're kinda, wobbly. Kind of wobbly. Yeah. We're wobbly. So <laughs> second, uh, second leg, what would, you, what would be a word we use to describe it here? Uh, it would be discipleship. It would be discipleship. And, and let's start here, Rob. How would Paul have known the stories? I mean, so here we have Saul. How would he have known the Christian stories? Yeah. If you listen to this morning's scripture, the last verse, which I think was verse 19, mm -hmm. it said, and, and Saul, Paul, spent several days with the disciples. And then it said right after that, he started preaching. Yeah. Now look, the only thing he knew about Jesus was that he didn't like Jesus. <laughs> right? <laughs> so within a few days. Preaching was rough at first. He had to get to know what they called the kerygma, these core stories. Can't you imagine him sitting there and hearing the prodigal son for the first time? hearing portions of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, hearing about Jesus' death and resurrection. This, these, these were the core teachings. They didn't have a gospel to read. There, there were so. no, there was, they couldn't look it up on his iPad. There, right. weren't, there wasn't Cokesbury to send him new curriculum. Like he had to learn it yeah. with the other disciples because that's how the stories were told orally. Yeah. And so that's how he learned. That's, it had to be in community. Yeah. And we, we do that around here. That's still going on. And Mother... Mother Teresa, somebody asked her, said, what does it mean to be discipled? And this is what she said. It, she said, it is to do your best to try to live under the influence of Jesus so that 
He can think his thoughts through your mind and do his works through your hands. I love that, you know, head, mm-hmm. hands. And I, I hope that's what happens in our, our journey groups, our Sunday school classes, our United Methodist Women's Circles, that we get that gospel scrapbook out, we get to know the stories. But most importantly, like Paul, you find your own picture in the scrapbook. You know, yeah. you, you, you step up into the drama. Yeah, we, um, in August this year, we, uh, just, a, just, a little, just a month ago or so, we met as a staff to think through um, goals and hopes and dreams for, for the end of 2018 and 2019. And, and one of the things that kept coming back up over and over again is the importance of engagement in discipleship. And, and don't, engagement like, okay, we're going to pick numbers and that. No, no. This is at the core of who we are. Paul doesn't become Paul without discipleship. He doesn't become Paul without living in community with the other disciples and learning the stories. Uh, that's one of the reasons we have this men's retreat next week is that we, we recognize the importance and the necessity and the need and the hope for us to be in smaller communities together. So, um, if you're not in a Sunday school or journey group class, we, we would love for you to, to talk to Patrick, and he would love to help find a place or start a new one. Uh, it's that important to who we are in Christ, and, and we see that right here in the beginning of Saul, Paul's journey. So we've got two legs. We're a little more comfortable. Yeah, so now we're going to go to the third, and it's our mission and our ministry. All right, now you get to participate a little bit. Do you remember as a child, do you remember doing this little thing? What's this? Here's the, here's the, open the, and here's the people. Now I like that as a kid, because I got to do something with my busy hands. But I like it even more now because, look what's going on here. The fingers are not pointing at each other, nor are they curled inward. What are they? Outward. You know, that's, that's mission. That's ministry. And There's a couple of things when we were talking about this week, Rob was like, I'm going to get everybody to do this, and we're going to do the thing. And I never can remember how to do my fingers. <laughs> that doesn't matter. But a couple of things that are really, I think, important to that little saying. One is the, um, here's a church, here's a steeple. Open the door. Open the door. Uh, so often in American Christianity over the last 50 years or so, we have uh, decided to cloister ourselves off, uh, forget to open our doors at times. Uh, what's that? You've got this phrase I can never Oh, yeah. Remember. Y'all have heard it from me so many times. I, I turn it into me, Jill, Phil, and Lil, us four, no more, last one in, shut the door. <laughs> the other shift that, that is really important is that the word mission uh, or missional means to be sent. It means to be sent out. And it's not that folks stay here inside, but it's that we go out the open door, recognizing that God is already working in the world and calling us to participate in the work of God. I really think, I know the heart of Central, and I think this is a church that believes we don't exist for our own sake. And by that, I mean, we don't exist just to survive and maintain ourselves. What what do we exist for? The sake of the world. Listen, it's not about us. See, it's not about us. It's about the people of the world we're called to bless. The church is at its best when we claim 
our role as a blessing machine, you know, a blessing machine for everybody in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the time of year we have charge conference coming up at the end of the month, at the end of October, and uh, we've been doing budgets and that kind of thing. And, and Rob works with our missions committee. And, and talk just a little bit about how a reframing that we've had within yeah, our the, missions committee the last couple of years. There, there's been this movement. Central's always been a generous church with a lot of outreach in the community and beyond. And now what we're trying to do is make sure we're not just granting funds and we're not just putting our donations to a slot in the, the door, but it's engagement. So we're trying to throw more of our financial and time and talent support toward things you can be a part of, you know, Haywood Street, um, going down to Lumberton, Congregation C- for C- Children, Kairos, and a lot of other things you're involved in here in town. Um, and it doesn't have to be something sponsored by the church, uh, but the, I think the key role is involvement, engagement in those things. Another thing we've talked about is that um, this way of thinking of being missional or being sent is, is more of a ministry with kind of thing, uh, that God's already working in the world and we're called to participate. Uh, and it's more relational. Uh, the way the early church worked is that it was a relationship. It was, it was a relational group of people. They got to know folks inside and outside of, of what was forming. And, and so much of how we're, we're seeking to do missions in the world as central is, is participatory. It's relational, and, it, and it, it's a call for all of us. Yeah. And then the final part of being sent is somebody's going to have to tell the story and share mm-hmm. it. And... I love the way evangelism is described in Acts. Paul goes into Athens and he stands up there and he goes, look, I'm not coming to push something down anybody's throat. I'm coming to talk about something you've already experienced in creation and the longing of the human heart. And there is no coercion. There's no judging. It's the sharing of what I believe is good news, and they believe was, was good news about all of us. What is it St. Francis says? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> I mean, how we live our lives is yeah. so important. There was a winsome witness, um, the early church. How do I know that? Well, think about how they started. Luke last week was there in that room in Pentecost, started with 120 people. Most of them that were in that room were probably illiterate, uh, fairly uncultured. Probably most of them had never been beyond the bounds of their own country. Their nation was oppressed. Um, Their economy was in shambles. They were occupied by Rome. They had no religious headquarters. They had no five-year feasibility study. Think about that. And within 30 years, within 30 years, this movement we're a part of today was in every city and port in the Mediterranean world. Yeah. So much of what the early church did, we can do, we still do. We, we are the, it's the acts of the apostolic people. It's where we're called to be. It's about relationship and being sent. It's about spending time together in community. It's about worshiping together. And recognizing that we don't do that because we all agree and we all look the same, we all think the same. But this mission, this, this call is, is the most important. So here we are, folks, 2018, we're the, <laughs> the sequel, mm-hmm. still living out of the prequel. Um, the prequel spoke about the wind of the Spirit. 
Mm-hmm. They said, the wind is up. Don't reef in the sails. Throw up all the canvas we've got. They said, the fire is burning. Don't bank the, the coals. Blow on it. Let it burn. Which reminded <laughs> Luke and I of another closing story of the energy that was in Acts and hopefully in this church. True story, a man named Wes Seeliger, Episcopal priest in uh, Texas. So he walks into a motorcycle store. And he walks in and he goes over and he, he loves motorcycles and he's admiring this Honda 750. Let me say something about a Honda 750. For those of you who don't know your motorcycles, it's a monster on wheels and two wheels. It will go, it, it'll, in, in 12 seconds, it'll be doing over a quarter of a mile. It can top out at 140, 145 miles an hour. And this was a beautiful Honda 750. Metallic gold chrome, it looked like a neon sign on wheels. So. Wes Heelergood, the priest, he comes in and he's admiring this. And then the salesman walks up. Says, beautiful bike, isn't it? Sir, I, it's some baby here. And the salesman says, well, let me tell you about it. This thing, you can cruise at 100. Everybody in town will notice you roll into town. It's, it's not like driving a car. You just rev a little bit of those pipes. They let them growl. All, huh? You let them growl and they sing. You can put 100 feet of, of rubber on the pavement. You can do a wheelie in third gear. It is... A dream. Man, that's fast. That's, that's something else. It, salesperson looks and says, by the way, what, what do you do for a living? Um, I'm, a, I'm a clergyman. Salesperson, well, um, uh, Reverend, let me uh, tell you a little bit more about the bike. It's, uh, bikes are great. You have 360 view. They can stop on a dime. Have I told you about the gas mileage? <laughs> The gas mileage is great. Just last week, we had a doctor come in and buy this same bike, and <laughs> he loved it. And, and they, you know, they, they are still kind of fun. <laughs> End of true story. Thinking out loud. Lawnmower salesmen are not surprised when a clergy walks in to look at the product. Lawnmowers. Slow, safe, sane, predictable. Motorcycle salesman, surprised when a clergy walks in. Motorcycles, exciting, adventurous, bold. Forget the clergy talk. Let's make it about us. Being a Christian, being the church, now think about this. Is it more like mowing the lawn or riding a motorcycle? (laughs) Ask the people in the book of Acts, wind, fire. You're going to find a motorcycle spirit there. Mm -hmm. It's okay, Central Church, here in 2018. Let's take this old baby called the church. Get it out there on the road. Give it all the gas we got and see where it will go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.